0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 99%. My name is Jesse Vondertek, coach at Top Step Training, and I'm here with Marilyn.
1: Hey everybody, Marilyn Chakota. You can find everything with me at mcc.coach. Happy to be here and <laughs> here <laughs> yeah. and not laid up. So thanks. Good to see you, Jesse. Yeah,
0: it's uh it's good to see you and not uh in a hospital bed. Um yeah, we had we had very different weekends. I I was skiing um you know in in the alps and uh you know not not crashing <laughs> and uh, which is good it's was good when you're years. skiing
1: because skiing that could be is that could be a, you could we could reverse roles pretty quickly
0: <laughs> yeah yeah especially with yeah 20 years off of skis i was definitely happy to not crash um so you know i'll, I'll get i'll keep my weekend fairly short that's what happened to me what have you been up to Marilyn? <laughs>
1: Oh my gosh. Right. What a whirlwind. So I think uh, some people have followed on social media and stuff and yeah, really good to be out of the hospital and at home. And we thought today would be like a great opportunity just to share the the footnotes basically on things, little lessons that I learned. Well, you know, fill people in on what more details of what actually happened. And then some footnotes on lessons learned through the whole process, because my original crash was actually December 2nd so and then a lot of things happened that I think are worthwhile sharing with people for for people to learn from from December 2nd to basically when did I get home like it was like Monday I don't know what, what's Monday December like the 15th or something yeah something like that so that's a long time and a lot of things happen in between there that were what I've heard many times not normal. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I, how many times I heard this is not normal. I was like, okay, I got the memo. I got it. But I think, you know, as athletes, that can be a common thing. There can be a lot of things that are, um, you know, non-normal, you know, we're as athletes, we're just, we're, we're, I've said it before and I've even done so many topics and talks on these things. We're just really not programmed like the, like the average person walking around. And this is like one of those scenarios where that's really, really true. And I think, it's a good idea to talk about it and, and put some things out there for everybody to learn off of. So, so then nobody makes the same mistakes, right? Like that's what sharing and, and learning from each other is all about is like someone goes through an experience and then hopefully you can either share the good things that do this and and check off the bad things like, Hey, I already did that. Don't bother doing that. <laughs> so my thing was uh, apparently it's better to have two lungs than one one <laughs> um, that's the, the 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 humorous side of things for sure
0: <laughs> Less, lesson learned, two lesson is learned. apparently
1: than one. two is better than one if you have to have one you can get by but two is definitely better check keep two
0: <laughs> uh, all right so let's let's rewind the clock and uh let's let's start with your crash because i know some people have heard a little bit about it but why don't you kind of give me the the play-by-play on what happened there
1: Yeah. So I went on a group ride December 2nd, uh, same ride. I do here all the time. It's not like I was doing something that I don't do a lot of and haven't done for years. It was a good, you know, good group. It's not like the group was dangerous or anything like that. It was a good group of riders that I ride with all the time. So there wasn't anything like that. Nothing to be feared of, you know, people, they, they're like, Oh my God, that's scary. There's so much fear. I would never go on those kinds of rides. It's something I do all the time. And I, I definitely wasn't in a position that i don't also do every weekend right like i i get into the sprints with people on the rides we race each other up hills um, all of those kinds of things and i've been doing that for 25 years so just to paint the picture i wasn't doing anything out of the normal or anything excessively dangerous for me it was things that i do all the time for many many years on the group ride, um, there's a little sprint, a, a fast downhill, and then it levels out to a flat section. And there's a sprint, um, was, uh, off the front with a group that was like a lead out and all very normal circumstances. There was, uh, some riders that came in from the left to, and then the, the group, I, I don't really know exactly what happened because you don't remember crashes when you, when you have them, but, um, it kind of bunched up a little bit. Someone was coming in pretty fast from the left and bumped my shoulder. And then we got bumping back and forth. And at at that speed at 45 miles an hour, I know it was that speed because I looked at my Garmin afterwards Um, at 45 miles an hour and someone a little bit bigger than you, when you start bumping back and forth, you know, I have really great handling skills. I have no problem normally bumping shoulders. That's something I'm used to. It's not even like I was above my skill, my pay grade that way or my skill level. It just, it's just, you know, shit happens. And we got bumping a little bit too fast, too hard. And um, I'm smaller, so I lost and I went flying through the air. Um, I don't really remember, obviously, because when you when you crash, you don't. And but I woke up with everyone around me, the whole group stopped, which was nice. Nice group of riders. They all stopped. And um, and this is where this is where the lessons start. So this is the moment the lessons start for everyone. And some people might think, yep okay, yeah, that's, that's normal. Um, I, or I wouldn't have done that. You know, everyone's going to have a different reaction here, but we're, we're kind of conditioned, I think as athletes or some of us are to say like, no, 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 I'm okay. Right. Like I hopped up and I was like, I'm okay. I'm okay. Like, don't worry about it. And I kind of sat on the curb, and I have good friends on that ride. So they were very attentive and like, sit down, like, make sure you're all right. I'd hit my head pretty hard. So they want to make sure that was okay. But I appeared pretty normal. I was like, I'm okay, I'm okay. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm like, even I was saying to the group ride, like, just go, like, you guys are good, you go, like, I'm okay. Obviously the fellow who I was, you know, fortunately nobody else went down, but the fellow who felt responsible for the crash, he was very nice, he came over, he felt really bad. And he, um, they were asking me if I want an ambulance. I said no, because I thought I was fine. Um, and so he ordered me an Uber and sent me home. As I got in the Uber, uh, one of the friends wanted to go with me to keep an eye on me. And I was like, ah, I'm okay. We can't fit two bikes on the, in this Uber. I'll be all right. Like you guys go ahead, you go ride. And I was like, I'm okay. Now I think that's a pretty common thing for us as athletes to do. And I don't think anyone around me would have done anything differently either because I look normal, you know? Um, and you've even mentioned Jesse. You can share. You know, for you, you've you've had those exact same scenarios and crashes. You know, we're we're kind of conditioned. I've been crashing my whole life, either off horses or off bikes. So it was like nothing. But I guess what the one thing is is, even though we appear okay, the one thing to 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 learn from that is we might not necessarily know what's going on internally. Right there might be something deeper internally going on that. Just because your leg's not broken, you're not bleeding from the head, or you might not know that there could be some kind of internal damage that you're just not aware of, especially when you, you hit the deck hard or you hit something hard or high speed or anything like that. So anyways, by the time I got home, I was in a lot of pain. The pain had set in, the adrenaline wore off, the pain had set in, um, and I actually was having a very hard time breathing in. I could breathe out, but I couldn't breathe in. Very small sips of breath in. Uh, was, I thought it was just associated with the pain that was setting in. It was bad enough that I did call a couple of friends to uh, that live close by. They rushed over, took me to the ER. Uh, by the time I got to the ER and got in there, they, because of the speed of the crash and being in the ER, the ER trauma team came at me with an overwhelmingly amount of things that they wanted to do. And because of that, like they wanted to put a neck brace on me, scan my head, my pelvis, uh, ultrasound, my insides, CT scan, x-rays. They went, I mean, they went into full trauma mode. And when I think when a trauma team comes at you like that and you feel like you're not that bad. And one for me, I was, I don't like a lot of us, um, you know, I only had just very bare bones, basic insurance. I was thinking, oh my gosh, they're coming at me with a hundred things and I don't think I'm that bad. I was like, no, 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 no. I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. And I was thinking more about like, I don't wanna walk out of this place with a $150,000 bill over a couple fractured ribs. And so they did an x-ray on my chest, the x-ray wasn't that good. And so they didn't see much and they wanted to, you know, do all these scans. And I was like, look, I think it's just fractured ribs. And this is, again, this is where lessons can be learned, right, my pain tolerance is really high because I've been conditioned to tolerate pain as an athlete my whole life. And maybe I'm just built that way a little bit too. I know not all athletes have super high pain tolerances, but um, I do. I also have been crashing my whole life. And so crashes don't really scare me. So I'm conditioned to crashing and I'm also conditioned to pain. And when I say crashing my whole life, I don't mean just off bikes because I was a show jumper, as we all know. And So I've been crashing off horses and bikes and crashing at high speed my whole life. So it's not something that I'm afraid of. And it's not something I'm not familiar with. And so I'm conditioned to pain and I'm conditioned to crashing. And so with those two things, I was making decisions based off of um, my insurance and that I didn't feel that as bad as might what might be going on. And so long story short is because I refused those things, they didn't discover that I actually had three broken ribs and one of the ribs had punctured my lung. And so I, Obviously the pain was a lot less because they gave me IV fentanyl and I was like, I'm all right. (laughs) And, uh, they monitored me for a while. They kept me there a long time. And, you know, and then, um, because of, because of those things, being an athlete and being very fit, it's amazing what your body can start to just very quickly, um, monitor, like take care of on its own. Like I was sitting there and I appeared pretty normal, even though I obviously wasn't. And I went home. And I spent the whole week at home living a pretty normal life, to be honest with you. I mean, normal life for as in I just crashed and I felt like I thought I had fractured ribs. And um, and so I expected pain. I was like, I expect to have pain this week. I expect things to be difficult this week. I expect to not feel great this week. But I worked all week. I um, hopped on my trainer and rode my bike. I, um, even hopped on the river path and went for a little easy spin. And I just kept thinking that all the symptoms I was having were associated with fractured ribs and the symptoms I was having were in something in the back of my mind was telling me it was more than just fractured ribs, but the pain for me, because pain isn't a great indicator for us athletes was not a great indicator. So when someone says, well, if you're in a really bad state, you'd be in so much pain that it would become obvious. I don't think that's true for, for us who are well-conditioned to pain and even like under, we were like, oh, I've been here before. I've crashed before. I've had these things. I expect, you know, expect to be pretty uncomfortable. I expect to have a lot of pain. Um, but what was good indicators for me is I other things were happening. And I was paying attention to those. And I was actually vocalizing those. It was very hard for me to breathe. And not just like, obviously, when I hopped on my trainer, I instantly started to sweat. My breathing was like very, very hard at at 50 watts. You know, I was barely putting my legs over. I was just literally sitting upright on my trainer. So don't get me wrong. It's not like I jumped on my trainer and tried to do like a workout. I just literally hopped on my trainer and was trying to spin my legs over. And at 50 watts, sitting straight upright, I was breathing really, really hard and having a really hard time. And I was sweating like crazy. And um, I was like, man, that's weird. And just walking around my house and talking, I was breathing really hard, going up my stairs in my house. I'd get to the top. It sounded like I was running, but I, you know, obviously just walked up my stairs. And when I bent over and like on my chest, it, I, I felt almost like so much pressure and weight. Now I know that was all the fluid that was building up but it was a lot of pressure and weight and it was really uncomfortable. I was starting to cough more and more. Um, You could actually physically hear fluid in my back. Like when I coughed or I bent over, there was someone who put their hand on my back when I coughed and they they were like, oh, what was that? It was this weird fluid noise and it was all the fluid that was building up. And eventually what happened over the week is all the fluid that was building up between my lung cavity and it was slowly collapsing my lung. And so not because of the puncture, eventually by the time the week went on, my lung had fully collapsed. And because I was breathing, having such a hard time, I reached out to a friend who's a physician here and I said, and this is where the other lesson to come up um, is that it's important to talk to people and physicians that not only know athletes and know you as an athlete, but hear you properly. And what I had said to him was, Hey, um, I'm not actually in that much pain or any more pain than what I expect to be in for fractured ribs, but I'm really concerned because I'm having a really hard time breathing. And when I said that, I asked him afterwards and he said that that was the cue for him. It wasn't that I said sharp pain, which is associated with broken ribs. I said, I'm having a hard time breathing. And even though I'd said that all week to a lot of people, they're like, oh, yeah, 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 that's normal for fractured ribs. And obviously they weren't physicians. They were just friends and they're just trying to like boost me up and say like, it's okay. You're fine. That's normal for fractured ribs. This physician understood that uh, rib fractures or broken ribs, the cue is sharp pain. And the cue for him was, is that I said, I'm having a really hard time breathing. And so he sent me for a follow-up x-ray and that's when it came up that I was you know i had had i had a fully collapsed lung and there was a lot of blood and fluid between the cavity and um and the actual lung and he told me to go to the er immediately and when i went to the er immediately um he had already prepped them that i was coming and then they you know started to take action right away from the time i arrived there to the time that i was scrubbed up and go, undergoing procedure was 10 minutes 15 minutes it wasn't long I was in there and they were like, holy crap. And this is where, again, it's, this is not normal. They said, how are you standing here in front of us? Usually people in this state are like on a stretcher. And I was like, I don't know. Well, here I am. So, you know, from the time I walked in, they handed me a gown and said, we're going to do this right here, right now. And I was like, like right here, right now in this room. They're like, Yeah. Right here, right now in this room, we're, we're doing this. And I was like, holy crap. So things happened pretty fast. Did the procedure. They had a few little, What they felt were like complications with the procedure because I was at a hospital that was a trauma two hospital. Apparently, this was a trauma one type situation. And so um, they weren't confident in what they did once I woke up. And so they ambulanced me to Banner, which is a trauma one hospital in Tucson. So, another important lesson is it's important to know in your city where the trauma, if something happens where the trauma one hospitals are. And that's where you should go in the first place to handle things. So all kinds of lessons learned, right? Like, so not normal, all kinds of not normal stuff going on. And because of who we are, as well as then like understanding where things are, you know, educating yourself, you don't know until these things happen. Um, Spent the night in the ER and trauma one, they, they were able to get everything the way it was supposed to with the tubes and what was necessary for me to reinflate the lung and get all the fluids out and, you know, start that whole process. That's kind of a little longer process. And so then they admitted me after a full night in the ER for four days and um, just underwent the, the steps to making sure that all the fluids go out, that the lung stays inflated, that the hole seals itself, that my lungs function properly on their own. And, you know, there's sort of steps, I won't bore people with the actual steps of what that that looks like. But those, those steps are very much um, dependent on how your body does that, how how it was able, it's able to get rid of all the fluids, the blood, that kind of stuff. And then the lungs staying inflated, re, you know, staying up the whole, you know, ceiling. Fortunately, they didn't have to do surgery on any of my ribs. As far as breaks went, they weren't like, there's like one, two and three in terms of degrees. Three is a a surgery type situation where they have to plate the ribs. Mine were fortunately a one. So they're like, you won't need surgery on your ribs, but you have to be really careful. They don't repuncture. And sometimes those holes get so bad that they need to actually do surgery or do a procedure to just like do some kind of scraping and then reseal the hole. I didn't need that. Fortunately, my body took care of the hole on itself. So it was just a matter of like making sure that my lung was doing what it's supposed to on its own and that all of those fluids in between the lung fluid and air between the lung and the cavity that those left my body completely. So it wouldn't recollapse. And so watching that, and then by the time all of that was functioning the way it's supposed to, like we do, and I could, you know, it was all doing its own thing on its own without machines, without tubes. They were able to remove all the machines and tubes and everything and, um, monitored me that it kept doing that without the help. And then once it, that was okay, then, then they sent me home. And so, so now I'm at home and the big thing is, I have a follow up on the 26, so it's like Merry Christmas to me. Um, <laughs> thank God I'm home. Um, and the I the thing is, is you know I, I'm okay at home. They just, the big thing I have to watch for is that the ribs don't shift and repuncture in any way, and that the lung continues to do what it's supposed to. And as I was leaving the hospital, again, it was like, you know, the little things that kept happening that weren't normal. Like when they had oxygen on me in the first 48 hours, they're like, man, your oxygen's at 100%. Like normally, even when people put oxygen on people, I guess they say like normal people there, it sits at like 98 or 97 or something, not at 100. So they're like, oh, you're at 100%. We can take this off. And they expected it to move down to like 95 with the state that I was in or even 93 um, and like most people, they like walk around at like 95 and it stayed at 100%. They're like, that's really weird. And I was like, yeah, I keep, I keep hearing that, which was a good thing. That was like a good thing, but like things that aren't normal. Um, and so as I was leaving the hospital, you know, I said, what, I, you know, I had a bit of fear, or not fear, but like I didn't trust myself because I spent that whole week in between, right? I was like, well, obviously I can't trust myself. So I said to them, what do I need to watch out for? And they said, you know, first they said, well, let, let pain be your guide, because if something goes wrong, you'll know, cause you'll be in a lot of pain. And I said, no, that's what got me in trouble in the first place. So like pain is clearly not my guide. And their response was funny because they said, um, oh, you're like our bull riders that come in. So obviously bull riders <laughs> have the same kind of conditioning as a, as other athletes, as far as this goes. And, uh, and they said, okay, well, your cues need to be that if you're, start to have trouble breathing. Your heart rate feels really elevated. You know, you start to like sort of have other things pop up, like you're sweating and it doesn't make sense. Um, your, your shortness of breath comes on in situations that don't line up. Like those are your indicators and you need to come back if, if any of those are happening. So, you know, that's sort of a, I know I've been talking sort of nonstop and really fast here, but I want, I didn't want to like drag everyone through it in too de- in depth or too long, but give everybody a good idea of what happened. And I think, you know, hopefully I'm, I'm pinpointing and maybe Jesse, you can compare with your stories you've been through or even help highlight, like the important lessons. The reason I'm sharing this is I know a lot, one the the support has been amazing and, and absolutely incredible. So thank you to every single person who's shown support and, um, you know, been there for me through this process. I can't. I, I mean, thank thank you isn't really even enough. But you know, that's all I can say is thank you. So know that that's not even enough. It's amazing. But um, you know, it's like hopefully there's little tidbits that I can share with people that are important lessons for us to learn as athletes. And I've had a lot of people reach out to me as athletes since this, saying like, yeah, like there's been times where. You know I had one person come to me and say, yeah, one time I had a you know a broken a fractured femur and I was just standing there in the ER saying to the doctor like something's really wrong and they' were like, well if your leg leg was broken, you'd be in so much pain you can't stand on it so that's and they sent her home and that wasn't the case and you know and it was like actually no, her leg was broken her femur was broken. they just were like, there's no way you would be standing in front of us if this was the case and same thing it's like, well, this is a normal it's like Well, yeah, but, you know, so it's, I think that's like these little things are important lessons to share with everyone. And, um, you know, and I think as athletes that we have to approach things a little differently, obviously you don't, you don't have to be overly cautious or have a massive amount of fear or anything like that, but there is fine lines of, of between like what, what do our cues need to be? What is different about us, you know, and, and how do we differentiate that and how do we manage that and how do we manage that on the spot too, you know, um, in the moment? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean,
0: first of all, thank you for sharing your story with us. That's, that's, uh, I'm sure a lot of people were kind of curious and are yeah thankful that you were willing to kind of share that whole process with us. I know. Um, sorry.
1: That was a lot. <laughs>
0: No, no, it's good though. It's good to hear. Cause I mean, I'm sure everyone was kind of curious, like, cause of the, especially that the time lag in there, there was kind of a pretty big time lag and a lot that happened. And, and so, yeah, thank you for kind of sh- sharing that whole timeline. And I think that can help people help people maybe trust themselves a little bit. Like if, if you do feel like something is off and, and I think a lot of the the lessons to learn come from right in that moment, like after the crash, when, you know you you need to kind of evaluate what happened or maybe you're helping a friend evaluate what happened if something happened to them and i think this process can kind of range from you know let's say you sprain an ankle trail running all the way up through if you're um you know you get in a serious bike crash so any any time like there is an incident i think you know it's really important to have a kind of a procedure and a process and really kind of slow things down because i think like what you said and did is is very normal as as athletes as people we don't want to be a burden to the people around us so when something happens we want to kind of push through and unfortunately like athletes uh, like like you are, are strong enough to say hey like like I I can definitely just override this right now and like we don't need to stop I'm going to be fine let's just kind of keep going and then you realize later that maybe like something a little more is wrong and so kind of slowing down in that moment I think you can you can kind of like learn a lot about about what's actually what's actually wrong if you're willing to just pause for a second and and really do a good job of evaluating and and really like yeah kind of slowing down a bit and saying hey like hey Marilyn what's what's going on what are your symptoms how do you feel and and taking a moment taking a moment to um Sorry, hold on one second. Taking a moment to to kind of evaluate yourself and then evaluate your friends and, and really slowing down because you have the adrenaline going and it's really easy to want to just push through.
1: Yeah, I think like, you know, there was indicators at the start and that were, you know, when I got home, I really, really should have taken more, you know, I don't know, put more weight on the fact that, yeah, I was in a lot of pain, but the really big thing was that I couldn't breathe in and that part wasn't normal for me. So I can handle- And
0: I, I I, I think, sorry to step over here, but, and I think that like, like you're talking about is that you were saying that, but people were hearing, oh, it hurts to breathe because that's what they wanted to hear right because that's kind of normal with cracked ribs you crack some ribs you take a deep breath you're going it's going to hurt because you're pushing on those ribs so you were saying one thing but no one was actually listening to you they were just hearing oh it's hard to breathe and they're like yeah 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 it's hard to breathe and you're like okay and and um and yeah so they weren't actually hearing you so i think that's a, that's another point too is that like you know ha- making sure that people are listening to the words that you're saying and not just kind of like assuming they understand what you're feeling Um, because it sounds like you got overridden there right and they didn't um they weren't listening to to you and, and no one was like taking that for what it actually was
1: well I think it just I didn't I even personally didn't make a big deal out of anything, because like you said, we tend to do that. We're like, oh, I'm okay. And I kept saying, I think it's just my ribs. I think it's just my ribs. And once I was loaded up with drugs, I could talk properly and everything until that point, but the moment before in the, in the hour before I actually had any medications and anything, it was so hard for me to breathe that that is what, as I learned is what I should have highlighted When I went into the ER and when when I came into the ER and they came at me with everything, I should have been really, really vocal about how hard it was to breathe. And I was they came at me so fast with so many things because, you know, that's what they do when you're in a high speed crash that they weren't really yeah you're right they weren't hearing what I what I was saying which was the one thing like I'm just having I can't breathe instead they were going to go you know they were looking at every they were more concerned about my head because of the state of my helmet and the speed of the crash and I was like I don't feel anything in my head my head is fine I'm completely alert I'm don't have like everything seemed fine it it was that you know that cue of I can't breathe and so I did have one friend with me that actually took me to the hospital in that moment that was looking at me very, very concerned about my breathing and did fully, did know that I have a really high pain tolerance. And she was like, she doesn't seem okay. She kept saying she doesn't seem okay. She doesn't seem okay. And so I think if you're that friend in that moment and you're witnessing those things also to have the um, confidence to just really be an advocate for the person, even if they're the one, the the person that's in trauma is pushing people away to be have the confidence to be vocal and say hey this is what i was noticing in the car ride over this is what was going on i think this is what you need to focus on and really be vocal about what they saw and what they heard and so cuz they might have from an outside perspective a much clearer understanding of what the symptoms were and be able to really be able to to voice that for the person so that it's not so broad range like oh pain right it's like they, they were in that moment when it was really acute before the drug set in. So I think that's, that's probably helpful as well. If you have people around you.
0: And I think you can even downscale that, right. To like, um, you know, if it's a smaller accident, smaller crash, you're not going to the but you can still be that friend that says, Hey, like, this is what I'm noticing about your behavior or like, you know, your leg movement or, you know, depending on the situation, like you're, you have that kind of vantage point where you can help, you know, wh- whoever has kind of had the accident to, to help them assess what's going on. Um, and, and maybe they, they can do a better job than you can with yourself. Cause you know, you had the adrenaline flowing and it's hard to really assess what's going on. Um, like the one time I crashed in the group ride, I, I had a buddy with me and, you know, we were kind of chatting and I was like, no, I think I'm fine. Like, let's keep going. And, he was like, you know, he tried to stop me a little bit. He was like, Hey, listen, like, you know, you're not holding your hand, right? Like, I think your wrist is probably kind of messed up. And I was like, I can shift and break. So we're good to go. And, you know, it turned out later that my wrist was pretty messed up and riding on it for the next six hours, just made, made it take, you know, even longer for me to recover. And had I just gone home and like rested it then. And, you know, and so, you know, listening to that, person who can kind of see what's going on what kind of more than yourself and, and not trusting the, the kind of pain as your guide, you know, especially cause you know, we, we don't want to stop and we want to keep going and, and like, we want to be okay. So, and, you know, and you have the adrenaline, you can, you can just kind of say, yeah, I'm fine. And like, sure. Like it hurts a little bit. Like, yeah, sure. My ribs hurt a little bit or my wrist hurts a little bit. Um, and to, yeah, you can push through, but taking that second to step back, maybe listen to the feedback from people around you and then try and make an actual more educated decision and not kind of relying totally on yourself in that moment, I think can be helpful to, to make the right call. And, and, you know, maybe the right call is continuing on. Maybe you are fine, but like maybe you're not. and, And maybe you really need to like, take a moment, listen, hear all the information and, and make sure that you are fine and you know, maybe just because there's not a bone sticking out of your body somewhere doesn't mean that you're actually okay. Right.
1: Yeah. And I, and I think probably, um, I don't know if there is like a guideline out there. Maybe if I should have Googled it before we started, this is there, is there a time, an actual time that adrenaline wears off? So like, because like when I was right after the crash and I was sitting on the curb, I seem pretty, I mean, obviously I was in pain, but I was fairly normal because I had so much adrenaline and the pain really, and things started to turn south when I was in the Uber on the way home. And that's when things started to get really bad. So like, is there an actual time limit like, or is it just the environment? Like had I sat on the curb even longer because there were so many people around me, I might've stayed the same or would have, would have it started to shift and change pretty quickly even just sitting there based on the time so that that was like interesting if there's an actual amount of time that adrenaline wears off and it's like okay yeah you really are okay you're fine like okay we've been sitting here 15 minutes it's you seem things do seem okay or is it like we've been sitting here 15 minutes and things are taking a turn for the worse. So like, and I, I use 15 minutes just because I don't know what the actual time is, but there was definitely a, a hard change from <laughs> that moment to that moment. So, um,
0: um from my experience, it, it's, it, you know, it can be time and also environmental, you know, if you could stay on your bike and you could kind of keep yourself in that fight or flight state, you can kind of keep that adrenaline going. And even being surrounded by all those people like on the curb, you could be like, hey, I need to put on like, you know, this brave face and kind of stay in this fight or flight state just being surrounded by the people. Mm -hmm. Um, So so I think it can be really environmental and it can take it can take getting you out of that environment. So like, you know, in a quiet car where you're just sitting there calmly with a friend or, you know, you're kind of back home on your couch where you're like, "Okay, I am now in a safe space. My body can calm down a little bit. Um, yeah, that's kind of been my experience and maybe there is a time limit too, but, but I've, I've, I've definitely pushed that time limit pretty far if I'm staying in an active mode, kind of engaging that response. Um, so yeah, but I think, yeah, like, and I think that's why it's important to really take some time to calm down. And that's kind of why, you know, people always say like, Hey, like you know, just sit down a little longer. Let's really try and like get calm and then kind of reevaluate maybe when you're in, a slightly better, a slightly less adrenaline full state. But yeah, if you just stay on the gas pedal and keep moving around, keep riding, keep whatever, um, yeah, it'll be harder for your body to kind of come down and be able to self evaluate how you actually feel.
1: Right. And then obviously don't make, don't make health decisions based on your insurance. Know your insurance <laughs> plan. Uh that's, I mean, that's a whole nother topic that is not, not, um, in line with the podcast, but I, you know, obviously we, we know that, in different countries, it works differently. And definitely here, insurance is a big part of the medical system. And, you know, understand, understanding your insurance policy, uh, that might be like, yep, you know, 99% of people do. And then some of us, we get insurance, and then we put on a shelf and don't fully understand it until we need to. And um, so fully understanding that is like, obviously super important. And then to, uh, you know, don't make health decisions based on your insurance. Just, just make the right decision for your health and then deal with that afterwards. Because obviously, you know, I made decisions in the moment based on my insurance. And then in the end, (laughs) you know, kind of bit me, it definitely bit me in the butt. And now it's like, it would have been a lot better had I just dealt with it right then. So, so I think any athlete in um, maybe in the USA who has had those thoughts or, and have, I, I've talked with several people. We've, a lot of people, a lot of people have done it. Almost every person I've talked to has said like, yeah, I've definitely rejected care based on knowing what the cost and the insurance situation might be. And so, cause I felt really stupid for that. And they're like, no, I've done it too. And and a lot of people do, and you know, I'm, that's unfortunate. And so I guess my lesson from that was just, you know, let maybe let them do what they're supposed to do in the moment and don't think about that. Just think about your health and then you'll, you'll handle it afterwards, you know?
0: Um. Yes. When I had Valley fever, I did the very same thing, putting off doctor's appointments uh, and going to the hospital because I did not want to uh, deal with hospital bills. Um, and that bit me in the butt as well. So, so yeah, I, I think, you know, it's kind of, if you're going to scope out to big picture, like the most important things in our lives is, or one of the most important things in our lives is our health, right? That's, that's kind of number one. Like, you know, we take it for granted every day when you, we go out on a bike rider and do these things, but like having our health is really important. And it's easy to kind of not see that in the moment that like, this is a decision that can uh, allow me to keep living my kind of lifestyle as a healthy human. And, you know, maybe a little bit, or, you know, in the U.S. a lot of money, but if, if you were like, hey, would you pay this much money to live a happy, healthy life? You would probably say yes, objectively. So, you know, just kind of keeping that in mind that like your health is important and you need to take care of yourself. And and if that means going to the hospital in this moment, then maybe that's a decision you have to make, even if it's annoying and or expensive.
1: Yeah, definitely. But yeah, so, you know, lots of lessons learned. And fortunately, a good, the good thing is, is uh, you know, things should completely recover a hundred percent back to normal. Now the ribs are kind of annoying, but that's okay. Lungs behaving at home and I'm home for Christmas. I can't fly for eight weeks. So that's a bummer. <laughs> um, I was going to go home and see my mom in Canada. I can't fly for eight weeks. So that's a total bummer, but that's okay. That will eight weeks will fly by and then I'll be able to jump on a plane if I want to. And, um, I can never scuba dive again, which I mean, not that I was planning on scuba diving, but damn it, <laughs> maybe I had <laughs> so at some point, I definitely can't now. Um, yeah, but that so-
0: you can't, it's a bummer,
1: right? <laughs> yeah, now that I can't, maybe I want to do, um, <laughs> but I can still snorkel and I can still swim. So that's, I mean, so that's good. And um, yeah, you know, it's like these things happen. It's part of, part of life. It could have been in a car crash. It could have been anything. I mean, it's part of what we do. Certainly doesn't deter don't, you know, people like, oh, that's scary. Would you ever maybe not be on a group ride again or something like that? And it's like, of course not, you know, like that's, that's part of what we do. You can't mentally, you can't let these things take away. Maybe you make some different decisions, but, and, and you learn from the lessons that, that happen in these situations, but it certainly doesn't change your passion for what you love to do. And, and it, you know, you still, you, you got to just kind of move past it and, and still get out there and do what you love. And, um, you heal, you know, you heal, you work through it and then you, you get back out there and do what you love. And, um, And one thing I
0: do want to touch on about that is that you kind of said a couple of times that you you've crashed your whole life, but like, I, I think that maybe mentioning the amount of rides you've gone on versus the amount of times you crashed ratio is pretty good.
1: Like you've okay. gone a
0: pretty long time without a crash and like, and, you know, you, you did mention you're a pretty good bike handler. And and I think that's a, a point to kind of mention. It's not like you're crashing once a week or once a month or even probably not once a year, you know, once every five years, maybe. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you've crashed all the time over the years, but like not actually all that often compared to how many hours you spend riding your bike.
1: Totally. I mean, I've been riding a bike since 1999 at a competitive race level. And like I said, with the horses, I mean, that was from when I was nine years old till I was 26. And I I mean, I can't even, and I ride my bike, you know, let's say on average between, let's put a big, broad range on it, no less than 12 hours, but all the way up to, you know, over 20 hours a week for over a decade. You know, it's like, how many times have I cra- actually crashed in that amount of time? I could probably count on one hand. You know, so it's really not like, yes, I've been, I've experienced crashes my whole life. However, the, exactly the amount, the actual frequency of it is very, very little, you know, it's just, it's, you know, and so, but we, know, it's part of it. I mean, just like you drive your car every day, you drive to the store, you drive to, you know, you live your life, driving your car a million hours a day. And, and, and every now and then maybe once every six or seven or 10 years, you get in a car crash. And sometimes they're no big deal. They're just a little bump in the bumper. And sometimes they are a big deal. And maybe you only ever experience one of those really big deal car crashes once in your life, or hopefully, or maybe even never. But um, but yeah, so that's how I can compare it. You know, if you can c- compare driving your car, you do it all the time. And mm-hmm. uh, and you have maybe in your life a few crashes. And and really, as a bike rider, it's kind of the same thing. You know, we, we know it's part of it. And the chances of it happening very often are they're not that often, you know, you know, they should or shouldn't be that often. And, um, and I certainly wasn't in a high risk type situation for me. You know, it was a very normal weekly occurrence for me as far as the environment that I was in. And it was, you know, good riders and all that kind of stuff is just, just an accident. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. Hope hopefully people can learn what to do if you do get in a crash. Um, Maybe at some point we can do a crash avoidance episode, but yeah, if you do end up <laughs> crashing, hopefully you can learn a little bit from, from Maryland's experience. And it's good to see you uh, back up and about without any tubes sticking out of you. It's, I'm thank- so glad you're, you're home.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I, I got to make a gingerbread house and be here, be here for Christmas. So I'm happy about that.
0: Awesome. Well, yeah, thank you for sharing your story and yeah, hopefully people can learn a few things and how to take care of themselves well if something does happen to them.
1: Thanks, Jesse. Merry Christmas.
0: Merry Christmas.